This episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator, the 12-week program for copywriters who want to learn the business skills they need to succeed. Learn more at thecopywriteraccelerator.com. What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 183 as we chat with SEO strategist Meg Casebolt about planning and writing search-friendly content, why SEO needs to be a part of your marketing mix, what it takes to run a month-long challenge, as well as the results she got, and why she rebranded and refocused her business solely on SEO. Welcome, Meg. Hey, Meg. Hey, it's so nice to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I've been able to get to know you over the last nine months or so um, through Tanya Geisler. And I'm excited to just dig into your business more and talk about a lot of the changes that you've made and challenges that you've taken on. So let's kick it off with your story. How did you get into SEO? Okay, so my story is, I, I think, a pretty common one, which is that I had been working in communications for many years. I worked in nonprofits. I worked at an architecture firm for a couple of years doing all of their marketing. Um, I got married. I got pregnant. I looked at the cost of childcare. And I don't know if I can swear on that pod- on this podcast, but I swore. Um, <laughs> so I kind of had to make this decision about how how do I want to spend my time? How do I want to make money? And I'd been sort of dabbling in freelance graphic design. Um, I'd actually, when I was working in the nonprofits, I wrote grants to take classes to teach myself design for the nonprofits uh, because nonprofit folks are always very resourceful like that. And so I'd been freelancing a little bit on the side, just kind of playing around with my, my personal copy of Adobe Illustrator. And I went, huh, I wonder if I can make this work. Um, And then I reconnected with some old friends. My first corporate client was literally my first grade best friend. Um, My first subcontracting client was my next door neighbor from my childhood. Um, And they both were huge, you know, huge experiences and really great companies to work for. And so it kind of just took off on its own once I started to pursue this route of being a designer. And it was easy then for me to to leave my job and stay home with my son part time and send him to daycare part time. And that was kind of just how how the business began. It happened a little bit naturally and kind of stumbling around, which I think happens to a lot of us. And then in terms of moving into SEO, I went from being a graphic designer. I started getting hired for more web projects. So I taught myself WordPress design and worked my way through those clients. And I felt like I was working with clients on their brand and on their logos and on their websites and on their social presence. And I would launch these beautiful sites for my clients. And they would say, well, that's great, Meg, but like, nobody's finding me for this. (laughs) And I was like, well, that wasn't part of the scope of work. (laughs) You know, like we didn't talk about search. We talked about brand and positioning and voice and copy and, you know, all of the things that go into the website. But I had no idea how SEO played into it. But I didn't want my clients to be like disappointed with the money that they invested in me. So I started playing with SEO on the side, essentially, and figuring it out on my own site and trying out new things. And I reached out to a number of designers that I just was friends with. And I said, guys, how do you balance this building the website and doing the design and knowing the branding and then also doing all the technical stuff that you need to do and the keyword research and the you know the mobile friendliness and all the SEO stuff and they were like oh god it's the it's the worst wait a minute do you want to do the SEO stuff Meg I would hire you to do it for me um and that's how I found my niche it wasn't an exhaustive list of like what are all the different things you can do in design it wasn't you know, let me figure out the niche and then market myself into it. Every evolution that I have found in my business has been accidentally stumbling into a conversation with somebody or an opening or some sort of opportunity and then seeing the opportunity, grabbing it and running with it. 
That is an awesome story. So what did you do then to learn SEO? Because you know, obviously you're very resourceful as you taught yourself all of these skills. And if somebody else were thinking, hey, I want to learn that, like where did you go? What resources did you use? How did you actually add that skill to to your uh, your skill stack, so to speak? Oh man, I wish I had like one resource where I could say, go here and take this course. Um, well, now I can because I teach it. But, um, but no, it wasn't really a... a linear progress kind of thing. This was just me going to Google or going to YouTube every time I had a question and figuring it out and trying it out and seeing what works. So absolutely not the fastest or most efficient way to learn something. But um, sometimes that's the best way to learn it is just to put it into practice and give it a shot. So Mega, I want to hear more about the pivot that you made and, you know, kind of leaving design and then focusing on SEO. At least that's the way it sounds. Um, how did you kind of work through that pivot? Um, did you eventually leave design? Well, I know you, you did, but how soon did you leave design completely to focus on SEO? How long does that take and what's realistic there? Yeah, I think that pivots don't necessarily have to be 90 degree or 180 degree turns. I think that they can be 10 degrees, 10 degrees, 10 degrees, 10 degrees. And so I started rewriting the copy of my website to be web design and SEO. And then once I put that onto the website, I started getting more SEO inquiries and just leaning more heavily onto those leads. And I remember the day that I took the words web design off my website, I was sweating because <laughs> I knew that I wanted to always have that as a backup plan. And that's not to say that now I couldn't go design a website. I'm sure I still could, but it's not as lucrative or as systematized or as you know fun for me as doing more of the nuanced work, more of that niche component. Yeah. Can you talk more about this too? Because you felt that anxiety around taking web design off your website. I feel like a lot of the copywriters we talk to um, want to niche down and want to kind of make that 10 degree pivot, but they are feeling that anxiety over like, if I make a change, this, this is it for me. And so even if they know that's not rational, I feel like we still deal with that. So what advice would you give to them if they are Make shifting a bit and maybe taking something off their website for the first time and freaking out. Uh, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I think that the advice that I would give them and also the advice that I give to people who are working on their SEO, regardless of what you are thinking about, is maybe you don't have to take everything off your website overnight. You can still keep those kind of generic keywords on your homepage or on your about page. You can still kind of cast a broad net there, but start writing some additional content or producing some videos that are about the new thing that you want to be known for. So it doesn't have to be even what is happening on the homepage of your website. If you can write some content that's specific to what you want to be found for, that's a really great way to dip your toe into a new topic without feeling like you're shutting down the other things that you could potentially be selling. And and even if you have something on your website you know, that doesn't mean that's the only thing that you're allowed to sell. <laughs> if somebody comes to me now and says, hey, Meg, I've heard such great things about your web design. I'm willing to pay SEO level prices for you to do the website. I would be open to that, right? <laughs> I would be willing to look at that again. But that doesn't mean I have to have every single service that I could possibly offer listed on my website for all people to see. It's okay to have secret offers. It's okay to have upsells that you only offer to the people that you love working with. And it's okay to have, you know, just a couple things that people can really get to know you for, but have a broader spectrum of things that you can do behind the scenes. I love that. That's really good advice as far as niching goes. It's you're not all in and you can always turn around and go back and, you know, change your mind, do all, all kinds of different things. So you mentioned that you started working with designers or you were talking with designers who also needed help. And that's maybe where a few of your first clients came from. As you really leaned into this, how did you find clients for SEO? Was it all through search and, you know, paid ads or were you doing something else? 
Would you believe that I get very few clients through actual search engine optimization? <laughs> I would believe it. Yeah. It's, in fact, it seems like that would be a really competitive space. It is so competitive. And the things that, you know, I, I can give advice to my clients and I can get really good results for them if they're in less competitive spaces or less competitive niches. But because SEO people are so freaking good at SEO, um, it can be kind of hard to break through the noise of that particular industry using the tools that they are also teaching by trying to teach those tools. Um, so I have gotten a couple leads from search. I'm very proud to say that I got a lead from the phrase feminist SEO, which makes my heart just sing. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, I still get my leads through word of mouth and through some unconventional promotion strategies. So I do a lot of challenges. I um, am very strong in affiliate marketing, affiliate, you know, having other people promote any pro promotions that I'm doing. Um and I, I try not to actually be on social media that much, even though I love, I know people love social media. I try to mostly do email marketing and, um, you know, fun trainings and teaching promotions instead. All right, Meg. So when you decided to focus on SEO and you were, you pivoted, how long ago was that now? A couple of years ago? Uh, about two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. Okay. So since then, um, catching up in time, uh, to now, what has been the most influential or helped you grow the most? Is there like one thing you did over that time that really did take your business to that next level? Um, I think that probably the the one kind of promotional activity that has put me on the map um, is actually, I think, Rob, you said this is how you first heard about me, is a promotion that I ran last fall called SE October. Um, I had a friend who reached out to me. She was, this was in August of 2019. My friend Ashley reached out and said, I'm going to do a daily live stream called small changes, September. Would you be willing to promote it, to promote it to your list? And I said back to Ashley, yeah, I would, I would love to. And also I should probably do SE October. Ha ha ha. Oh no, I think I have to do SE October. <laughs> like it was such a good name. Um, and I'm sure as copywriters, you guys kind of hear that and you're like, oh, that name is so good. Now I have to create something to live up to the potential of this name that just <laughs> flowed out right. of my mouth. Um, and so that's where SE October came from. And I ended up getting, so what I did is I thought, I kind of worked backwards from it. I said, okay, if I'm going to have a promotion called SE October, first I had to decide if it was SE October or SE October <laughs> because there's not an easy way to pronounce it. It's easy to write. It's not so easy to read. Um, and so I started putting together SE October and I worked backwards and I said, okay, how many weekdays are there in, in the month of October? If I want to provide one training per day, how many do I need it to be? And if, you know, I discovered there were 24 weekdays in October, 2019, and I thought, okay, so the last week of this is going to be launch emails, basically trying to promote a course. So what are the the 19 things that I need to teach before that. And I worked backwards and thought, okay, what are the things that I can teach in three minutes or less that will help people understand what SEO is? And from there, the, the content actually kind of built itself. It was just trying to figure out 19 different tasks, 19 different skills that could go into this that build upon each other. Um, and I can't believe how, how, Epically, it took off because I just shared it with some friends and said, hey, would you mind sharing this with your community? Would you share this with your audience? And I put affiliate links on the front end of it um, so that people could share this free challenge, which is a little different than a three-day challenge or a five-day challenge, but also it's free. People love free things. Um, and so I shared it with a couple of my friends and um, ended up getting over 1,000 subscribers just from, just from affiliate recommendations. There were there was no paid ads behind that at the time. I just reached out to friends and saw if they would share it with their networks. And then more and more people shared and shared. And it even started to snowball where at the beginning of the month, I had 600 or 700 people running through the challenge. And by the end of the month, about many of those people had told their friends about it. And I had over a thousand people go getting the daily emails. Um, so that was 
very enlightening um, experience in part because I think, and you guys are copywriters, so this might sound a little strange to you, but I was a little bit scared to send emails that frequently. Um, And I think that probably as copywriters, you guys are saying to your clients all the time, like, no, people want to hear from you. It's okay. It's okay to email. (laughs) Um, But I had a lot of anxiety around sending a daily digest. And in every single email, I said, if you want to opt out of this daily email, you can. And only 4% of people opted out from the daily digest. People loved hearing from me daily. And it gave me a lot of confidence around being okay to email my list and knowing that if I have an email that's valuable, people will actually want to read it and want to hear from me, which felt like a big revelation. Yeah, I have definitely have a couple of questions about this. So first, can you give us maybe a sample of like what one of the daily emails would have been or would have included? Sure. So I spent the first week doing like three very simple lessons about keyword research to help people understand what search queries are and how can you find out what people are searching for. And then I spent a week saying, okay, here are all the places that you can put those keywords. You know, you can put them in your headline. You can put it in your alt tag. You can put it in your body text. You could Here's how you can use subheads in a blog post. And that was four different lessons. <laughs> so it wasn't me trying to teach everything all at once because I found that um, you know people get really busy and they get really overwhelmed. Um, I use a platform called Member Vault to, uh, to deliver this content. And so I was able to see that people would binge. They would wait until Friday and then they'd do five days worth of lessons. Uh, so that made it a little bit easier for me to think, okay, it's okay if they're not opening the emails every day. It's okay if they're, you know, not not doing everything the minute that it arrives in their inbox. People are going to set aside time for things. And that gave me a lot of um, support back from the community saying, okay, I'm going to do this whole week right now. So <laughs> if I have any questions, let me dig in. And there was a Facebook group and people could put messages below the me- below the videos and ask any questions they had. So it was a really great interactive learning experience for people where they could then go into the Facebook group and say, here's the post that I wrote this month. What do you think? And get feedback from other people who are working through the same process. Okay. So yeah, next question. So you had a Facebook group to support uh, everything that you were doing with a daily email as well, where people could check in and report? Yeah. And so I would probably post like once a week in there. I didn't feel like I needed to engage the community every day because I was also sending daily emails and that was a little bit much. Um, But I still had a Facebook group where people could interact with each other. And that seemed to me to be the most important part was, you know, interact with each other and get some feedback from me. Um, And I would also say to people, like, if you're caught up, you can, I would do Facebook lives in the group walking through uh, you know, doing quick analysis of what people were doing on their blog posts. Um, so just really quick, like, hey, I see that you did this. This is great. But have you thought about changing the title to this instead? Because that would, you know, probably get more clicks and giving people really quick feedback um, just to give them an idea of how SEO can work for them and the things that they can do, which are these little changes that can actually make a difference in showing up in those search results. And then as far as affiliates go, it's a free offer. And so, you know, there's no money to be made here. Uh, What did you offer them for, you know, bringing people to your list? Was it follow on sales? Was it, uh, you know, did you upsell to some other product? You know, what did that look like? Yep. So I had um, an upsell when they, like basically a limited time offer when they signed up. And then I also had an upsell after the month was over. So the first part was that I took those same 24 videos. If you signed up for free, they were dripped out to you daily, or you could upgrade when you signed up and get for $24, you could get all 24 videos lump sum. Um, And so I think something like um, 6% of people took advantage of that offer and my affiliates made 50% of people signed up for it. So because it was no problem for me to to give them a good payout there, it was 12 bucks. (laughs) Like, I don't mind that. Um, And then at the end of the month, I pitched my content strategy course, which is all based on keyword research. And if uh, if somebody who signed up for the challenge through an affiliate link purchased the course, then they would get a 30% payout. So it was absolutely worth it for my affiliates to promote the challenge. But it wasn't just asking my affiliates to say, hey, can you send people to this very obviously high pitch webinar? <laughs> you know, giving a ton of value on the front end made it easier for them to promote it without it feeling like, look, I have affiliate money coming in from this if you buy it. 
Yeah, no, that's a really great point. And how much was that initial offer uh, for all of the videos uh, together? $24. $24. Okay. All right. Well, my question was like, why do you think this took off and you, you had a thousand subscribers beyond asking friends, you know, friends, colleagues who want to support you? And you made clearly made it very easy for them to do it by a challenge that was value-based and, and leading up front with content. Um, you made it easy for them. But why else do you think it took off and that you had a thousand subscribers and people were talking about it and joining halfway through the month? I think because it was taking something that felt impossible and breaking it down into demystified simple steps. I think that the more complex the things are that we do, uh, the and, and you know you guys are all copywriters, so you are so accustomed to doing things like market research and writing copy that is in a particular voice, and there are things that really start to come naturally to you the more you do it, and so it can be really hard to work backwards and take yourself out of that curse of knowledge and explain things in normal words, <laughs> and so I think that that was the biggest. Um, benefit of this free challenge was breaking things up into three minutes a day. Because if you try to learn everything overnight and absorb something highly technical or something that requires um, you to actually implement it in time, it it can just make you want to tear out your hair and run in the opposite direction. But by splitting it up into something and, and stretching it out over a period of time, I think it made a huge difference for people in saying, okay, I had no problem with day three. Let me move on to day four. Okay. I think I understand day four. Let me go try it on my website before I go do the day five lesson. And having the space to implement in the midst of the lessons was such a huge change maker. Instead of just binging YouTube videos where people are talking in, you know, really confusing terms, um, breaking it down into those bite-sized pieces seemed to make a huge difference for my audience. Okay. And uh, this is getting into the weeds here, but I feel like it's <laughs> necessary. So if somebody listening or if, you know, I want to run a similar challenge around something copywriting related, could you just walk us through like what we need to think about and do step-by-step? Step? I mean, clearly there's like the Facebook group component, daily emails, daily videos. Um, can you just walk us through that, that structure? Sure. So I would say the first thing to do is to come up with some quick win, to come up with the goal that the person will have by the end of the training. Um, and whether that's you know a one-hour webinar training or a five-day, 10 minutes a day training or whatever the, the structure looks like, that part's not actually that important. But becoming super clear on the end goal and the outcomes that they can expect by the end of the training and then working backwards from there. So I, I already said like, I, I did it a little weird this time because I thought, oh, well, I need to fit 19 days um, and this is the course that I want to promote. But really what I did is I took my course, I pulled out half of a module and I broke it up into that. So I was taking the content that I already had in the course and I was able to say to people, if this feels good to you, here's how you can get more information about this. I was making it very clear in the, the challenge this is what's covered in the course and more. So it was really just giving an introductory level explanation of what they could expect if they worked with me and making sure that people knew the way that I teach and what I sound like when I teach. And yes, I include way too many gifts in all of my trainings. And I try to put in pop culture references as much as possible because that's just what makes sense to me and my brain and the way that I want to share with people. Um, so making sure that, you know, as you're putting together the training, yes, you can send out daily emails or don't. You can do it all in a Facebook group or don't have the Facebook group, but making sure that the way that you plan the challenge is both outcome driven and built into like your brand voice is built into it. And I think that that will warm people up better than anything else is just knowing exactly what to expect when the upsell comes, because the point of the challenge is to upsell, <laughs> you know, but when the upsell comes, they feel like it's a logical progression towards what they've been working towards this entire time. So it seems like it was a really big success for you. You certainly were able to grow your list. It sounds like you got people to join your, one of your programs. What about the people who went through the challenge? What kinds of changes did they see in their business? Or what kind of successes did they report back? 
I, I mean, people were very clear about I even if they weren't ready to join the course. And I, I've launched the course since then. And some people said, like, I was I was in SE October. I loved it. It just wasn't the right time for me to buy. So it still is having some ramifications for me a couple months later um, and sales ramifications, too, which is nice. Um, but I think also people just felt like, oh, this isn't this giant thing that I don't understand. This isn't a behemoth. This is a checklist. Um, I think that the biggest change for people who went through this challenge was just knowing that they could do it, that they didn't have to be scared. Because there's a lot of digital marketing, you know, trainings and strategies that are very complex and that, you know, they build upon each other. And sometimes we as marketing people forget all the things that we already know. And we leap in at an introductory level without actually explaining the foundations of what it is that we're talking about. Um, And so I think by breaking down foundations, people who were just, you know, they've been in business for six months, two years, somewhere at that point, and they've always been told like, you need SEO, you need SEO, but they didn't really get what it was. And I think that when you can demystify something that feels overwhelming, people will trust you very easily. So it may just be, you know, instead of saying, I'm going to do a challenge to rewrite your entire website so that way you can get all the customers in the world, maybe the challenge is just writing your about page. I would love to go through a challenge that's that specific. Just here's how to write your about page. And and part one is the headline. And part two is, you know, writing from the customer's perspective. And part three is the bio at the bottom. And and you can kind of stretch something out and break it down into foundational pieces and do teachings on each piece of the puzzle before you expect them to buy into something bigger. Um, And if people just do the challenge, it needs to be a standalone value on its own. I think sometimes we're told to hold back the best stuff because we think, oh, well, if I give away everything for free, they won't buy it. But I think sometimes giving away the best stuff whets your appetite that you want more, that you see the results, that you feel like you can do something. Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge with that too is not even just like giving away my best stuff, but it's like giving away so much that people feel overwhelmed. And maybe by the time we get to the offer, they're so overwhelmed. They're like, I, I'm still working through the daily challenges. Um, so can you, could we just talk a little bit about like how you dealt with engagement? Cause clearly you had a lot of engagement. People had wins. How did you incentivize them to check in daily and work through everything And um, how did you deal with overwhelm throughout the challenge? Sure. So I actually built a bonus structure into the challenge. So if you finished, and and this was also a way of planting the seed that I was going to have an upsell at the end of the challenge without being over the head about it. So if you finished five days of the challenge, you got 5% off the course. If you finished 10 days of the challenge, you got a free workbook, you know, that walked through some of the process that's included in the course. And so everything was leading towards it. I think it was if you finished 20 days of the challenge, I would do an audit of your website, like a 10 minute audit of the SEO of your website and walk you through some things that you can do that are custom to you that um, that you can do right away that might make a difference on your SEO. And I found that if people made it to that 20, 20 video, um, threshold then, and then earned themselves the, the SEO audit on their website, then I think I got about a 40% conversion rate from people who got there. Wow. Okay. And you were able to manage all of that through this, the platform, right? Through member vault with the rewards. Okay. Um, so what would you change? I know, you know, we've talked about you doing another challenge. Clearly it's not like it takes work to put this together. What would you do differently? You know, what surprised you along the way and what lessons did you learn? So sorry, three questions there. (laughs) I have no idea what they all were. No, um, I think that the biggest takeaway that I had, because I do want to do this challenge again next year. So guys, get yourself ready. You can go to I don't even want to pitch this. <laughs> I was about to say go to SE October and sign up for the wait list, but it's February. I can't bring it <laughs> Everybody get ready. It's coming soon. It's coming. It's coming. No, I, I don't. I plan, I plan a year in advance, but not like that. Gosh. Um, no, I think that the biggest takeaway that I had was to build it based on the fact that it would scale. Um, and so when I signed, when I started putting it together and I started putting the bonuses into place, the final bonus is a half an hour call with me. And 
then I had a hundred people finish the course. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do 100 half an hour calls? That is really time heavy for me. And even with a 40% conversion rate off of them, I mean, not everyone booked the calls, which is also crazy pants that you worked this hard getting through it and then you didn't book the bonus call. Um, But, you know, going through those calls, it was like, oh my God, my month of November was a lot less time to work because I had all these calls booked in. So if when I do it again, I will be changing the bonuses to be less time intensive for me. So that might be having somebody else do some of those calls, or it might be systematizing the audits that I do to make them a little bit easier and less time consuming for me to actually do. Um, Building it based on the fact that I won't be able to give the personal attention to people as more and more people sign up for it. Now, when I started building it, I had no idea that a thousand people would sign up. I was expecting like two or 300. (laughs) So it was a big surprise to me that it scaled as well as it did. Um, But another thing that I noticed because I'm using the member vault platform and they track everything that people do is that I, I noticed that the day that the bonuses expired, I had a huge surge in people doing their homework until literally midnight on a Friday night. By putting a time-sensitive ending in place and giving them an incentive to work towards, instead of seeing the usual drop-off that you see on challenges after, you know, three days even, you see a big drop-off in things. But I actually saw a surge in the last week because I had gamified and incentivized finishing the challenge. Yeah, urgency and scarcity work. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) I know this is a big surprise to copywriters that urgency and scarcity are part of a good promotion. (laughs) Exactly. So I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk um, a a bit about some of the changes that you've made in your business uh, in the recent past. So we talked about niching earlier on and you used to provide at least some help with PPC, if I'm not mistaken, but now you focus entirely on SEO. Will you talk a little bit about the reasons why you decided to make that change? Absolutely. So I, um, when I made the shift into search engine optimization, I got really damn good at keyword research. And, um, you know, I think that that's maybe the, the thing that I do best. And that's why I love teaching it is helping find the keywords that will turn into sales. Um, And then I was working with some larger companies and corporations who also had a PPC team in place who were duplicating the keyword research. And I was like, no, 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 no. Why are we, why don't we have a comprehensive keyword research strategy for organic and paid search? Like these should be working together. And then once I kind of started to dip my toe into PPC keyword research and figuring out which are the keywords that are attainable and reasonable to pursue organically and which are the ones that need to have some revenue be, or you know you know some money behind them to to see a conversion on it. Once I started to look at that, I was like, well, what if I just ran the ads? <laughs> and obviously, I think all of us as entrepreneurs are willing to put on new hats. And you already heard at the beginning of this with my origin story that I'm like, well, I'll just teach myself to do that too. <laughs> so I started running the ads. I took, I actually did take some some pretty structured classes on Google ads management, which were both private and directly through the Google ads platform. I went through and did their whole training on it. Um and I, I think I was getting pretty good at it, but I was burning the hell out from trying to do too many things. Um, you know, I was trying to manage ads and ads require so much handholding. With SEO, you can write a blog post or optimize a website or rewrite some copy or change out a title tag. And then you wait a month and you look at it and you see if it's made a difference. Whereas with ads, the the monitoring needed to be twice a day, I needed to be going in and taking a look at what things were working and what do we need to turn off and what do we need to turn up and doing, you know, how are people behaving on mobile versus behaving on, um, on desktop and okay, this keyword is clicking through, we're getting great click through rates, but we're not getting conversions on it. So how do we need to change the landing page? And it just felt like a double full-time job for me to be working on the organic and on the paid. And so I actually brought somebody onto my team who I love and trust, who has PPC experience. Um, And even then I felt like I was always struggling to be the liaison between the, even when I had the person directly communicating with the client, with my, my PPC manager, I still felt like I was always struggling to 
to keep up with what was going on with PPC. Like it really needs to be a dedicated person full time to make it make sense. And I also felt like I couldn't figure out how to make good revenue doing PPC. I couldn't, if I was charging people money for my services and then also worrying about what is their budget and does my fee go up as their budget goes up, it just, I could never find a way to make it feel profitable for the size of the companies I was working with. Um, And so I I just decided to continue working with my existing PPC clients. I didn't want to leave them out in the the dust. Um, But to to not offer that anymore to new people coming into my business because I didn't like doing it that much. <laughs> so are you still doing it today for some of those original clients? Yeah. And those people are, are I wouldn't say that they're, you know, coasting by any means, but we know their, their keywords and their conversions so well that it's more of a maintenance as opposed to an ongoing management, you know, consistently updating everything situation. Yeah. And, I, and I'm just wondering too, if you have advice around like when we're dealing with burnout, which it sounds like in some ways, maybe you were dealing with burnout and, and being stretched too thin um, and making a really smart uh, business move by pivoting. But how do we know when it's the hard work that's needed to grow and it feels like burnout? It's just tough versus like real burnout where it, it doesn't make sense and we really should question uh, what we're focusing on or some of our offers or how we're operating in our business. Uh, do you feel like you have a clear difference from that situation? I think for me, the the distinction is how I feel. What is my energy as I shift between multiple things, you know? And when I'm doing, yeah, keyword research is not the sexiest or most exciting way to spend my time, but I enjoy it. I look forward to finding those keywords that that make sense, that will make a difference in my client's business. I get, I get energized when I feel like I'm moving towards something. Whereas for me, and I'm, I'm an Enneagram seven too. So I think when I can pursue something and see an end in sight and like follow the shiny objects and get where I need to go quickly, I get a high from that. Whereas the long-term strategic checking in on it every day just felt like a slog to me. You know, maybe an Enneagram five would do way better on that or an Enneagram one would be perfect. But as a seven, I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing this again. And I still every day I have to go do the same thing. It didn't feel energetically enthusiastic. I didn't feel enthusiastic about it. It felt like a chore as opposed to something that I was looking forward to. And yeah, there are times where you have to do things you don't want to do in your business. (laughs) I don't love doing my bookkeeping, but if I don't do that, the IRS is going to come after me. Like there are things that you have to do. Well, you can outsource some of it, but for me, it felt like, why am I pursuing and trying to get clients for something that I don't actually want to do when I have other clients lining up to work with me for something I enjoy? And just checking in with what my gut was telling me was such a huge game changer. And it was really hard. To, same thing where I said it was hard to take web design off of my website. It was hard to take Google ads off my website. But if I didn't love doing it and I couldn't find a way to make it as profitable, profitable as the other things I was offering, it had to go. So now you're focused almost entirely on SEO. And I'm curious, you know, if I wanted to add, start to add content to my website as a copywriter, or, you know, somebody who's listening maybe wants to get serious about getting found for particular keywords, what are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about as we start to create content and either put it on our site or maybe in other places so that, you know, it can direct traffic back to our site? Love this question. And I think this won't be a surprise to copywriters because you guys are so accustomed to thinking about and hearing the voice of the customer and have trained your ears to do that. Um, But I think that the biggest shift that happens as you start to think about how to be found for SEO is that instead of talking about, this is what I do, this is who I am, this is how you can pay me, the shift happens into, this is the problem I can solve for you. This is the solution you're looking for. This is the this is more about you and your needs as the end client than it is about me as the service provider. And it probably feels a little on the nose as a copywriter because you guys are talking about that so much with your clients, but I still will go to copywriter websites that say like 
I'm a copywriter. I'll write your web copy. I'll do your funnels. I'll do your launches. And there may be people out there who are specifically looking for launch copywriters or conversion copywriters, but there may also be people out there who don't know what a copywriter is. And those websites, maybe you don't want to have the people who don't know what a copywriter is. Maybe the people who you are trying to be found by um, are far far enough along on their customer awareness that you don't want to have to explain the difference between a copywriter and like a newsletter writer. Um, and that's okay. That's a, a decision that you can choose to make. But being aware of the fact that different people will use different words to describe the same thing. And it's up to you as the writer to decide which of these terms are the ones that I want to be found for. Which of these problems are the ones that I want to solve for people? Beyond just, I am a copywriter, hire me for copywriting. It can be, is your sales page not converting? Is your email sequence dropping subscribers like, you know, like flies, you know, or obviously you guys are copywriters, you'll come up with a better (laughs) metaphor than that. Um, But just, you know, thinking about not just what are the services I want to offer, but being aware of what those services do for the people that you are trying to work with. And I think that that is the biggest first step in writing copy that makes sense. And then the second thing is to go and do some research about what exactly are people looking for? What are the words that they're using? Copywriters are great at market research and doing those customer interviews and finding the voice of the customer, but there's a limit to the number of people that you can interview in a week or a month or a year to get that direct one-to-one feedback or focus group feedback. I like to think of keyword research as just a much broader (laughs) version of finding the voice of the customer, where you're taking a look at hundreds of thousands of ways that the people use their actual words. Instead of needing to have these one-to-one conversations, you're able to see things at scale and understand the volume of the problems that you're trying to solve for people. So yeah, just to make sure that I'm clear on this, you're really suggesting that rather than try to rank for a term like copywriter, which is going to be highly competitive, just given the number of people who call themselves copywriters have that on their website, that maybe we should be looking for problems as defined by our clients. So a client who might be typing in something like, you know, uh, need help with retention strategy or, um, you know, something uh, that's less about it still deals with the problems that we solve as copywriters, but it's not necessarily the word copywriter. Is that correct? Yeah, I think you can still, you know, put the word copywriter on your homepage and your about page, obviously, so that people know what it is that you do. But then you can create additional content that is retention strategies, or, you know, maybe your people aren't even using retention strategies. Maybe that still feels a little too jargony. Maybe it's why do why are so many of my subscribe or why are so many of my email people unsubscribing? You know, how do I decrease my unsubscribe rate? How do I increase my open rates? How do I get more people to fill out this form on my website? The the outcomes might be the things that they're looking for, as opposed to the words that we use to describe you know, how to decrease churn. (laughs) That might not be the words that your ideal client is using, even if it's what you help them do. It comes back to that same idea of sell them what they want, give them what they need. You say to them, how do I keep people in my membership site instead of how do I decrease churn? Because they might not know those terms. Awesome. Makes sense. Okay. So my last question on this is, let's say that I know the keywords that I want to be writing about. I've got some ideas. Should I be putting this on my website or should I be publishing on other platforms, things like maybe Medium or LinkedIn or even other blogs and then trying to drive traffic back to my website? Uh, you know, like what, what, is, what are the things we should be doing there? Love this question. Um, always, I don't want to say always, if you are trying to become a thought leader, you can use a platform like Medium to build out a following. But if it's something that you want people to find on your own website, I would recommend putting it on your website and then syndicating it and importing it over to a platform like Medium so that you're still getting the traffic coming to your site, but you're getting 
people finding you on your website and finding you on Medium for that same content. Medium is actually built as a syndication tool. So you can get that traffic, but not also cannibalize your own content by having people find you on Medium instead of your website. Um, We also have the opportunities to do guest posts or to talk about things on other people's platforms, which is wonderful because not only can you get referral traffic over to your website from those thought leadership pieces, but you can also um, get backlinks and authority. So I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of backlinks. So if somebody from um, like a larger publication, like if you get listed on copy hackers and you write a piece for them, then not only are they putting a link to your website on their author section of your page of their of your um publication, but also that link coming from copy hackers to your website will carry a certain amount of their SEO authority over to your page. And every page and every domain has a certain level of authority that Google doesn't share all of its algorithm rankings with us, but some other keyword research and SEO tools can estimate approximately what people's domain authority is. And if you can get your content placed in third-party, highly authoritative, well-respected publications, then that will help raise your domain authority. So even if you don't change anything else on your site, if you're able to produce really high-quality content and get it placed on other authoritative platforms, the content that you have on your website will start to grow in the ranks because Google trusts you more because places like copy hackers trust you more or other places you know that are popular around the internet. If you want to write first, you know, social media examiner and you get a post back to your website from that, that would be another backlink from a highly authoritative source. So there are times where we want to create content on your website that will help people find you. And then there are times where you want to take your best content, shop it out to other highly authoritative platforms and get those links coming back to your website and get that traffic coming back to your website from it. You have to have a combination of both for really great SEO because you want to be seen not only found for your content on your website, but also get the authority from other people's websites to promote yourself. All right. There's a lot that we can continue to dig into there. I know that could be a whole nother hour, but we do want to spend some time talking about how your business has grown more recently. So I feel like, you know, hearing you talk through all this and and knowing you behind the scenes, um, you know, it's clear that the challenge in October, SEO October really helped you kind of hit that quote unquote next level and increased your visibility, grew your list you know, it goes on from there. So I'm just wondering if since then, as you've reached this next level, if you've hit any struggles, um, mindset challenges, like, and, and if you have, how you've dealt with it. I think the biggest difficulty for me, and I know that um, a lot of us have gone through this, is that suddenly my marketing and sales isn't necessarily a problem. I have plenty of leads coming in, but I didn't have the capacity to work with all those people. And that really, you know, it's really disappointing when you have these amazing people coming to you and they want to work with you and they want to give you money and you have to say, I don't have time to work with you for like three or four months. Or, oh, I know that you want to launch in two months and I can't help you right now. And that was really stressing me out because not only am I saying no to money, which is always a difficult conversation to have, um, but these were ideal people and my heart wanted to work with them. Um, And so I had to restructure my business to really adjust from being a solopreneur who's wearing all the hats and doing all the things to building out a small team and relying on other people to get the work done for me and and knowing that I can't necessarily be doing all of it myself. Um, And so I actually brought a director of operations on board and I'm working with her team to create standard operating procedures for everything I do in my business. And I already mentioned, you know, my Enneagram seven type, which is very much like, let me pursue all the shiny objects everywhere. Let me rewrite every proposal from scratch every time because everything is different and the world is magical and I'm enthusiastic (laughs) about everything and everyone deserves rainbows and sunshines. And my wonderful operations director was like, Meg, this is crazy. (laughs) Stop redoing everything from scratch every time because 90% of your proposals are the same. And 
how do you want to work with people and what do you want that to look like? And then let's build the proposals, not based on what the client is coming to you, telling you what they want, but create a system that you can replicate that will meet all of these clients' needs. And (laughs) obviously I resisted because we all resist change. Um, But once I started changing the structure of how I work with people, it cleared my schedule so much and made things make so much more sense because I didn't have to do all the work. And so when a new customer comes to me or when a new prospect comes to me, the first thing that I pitch is actually, uh, I, I think a lot of people would call it like a road mapping session or an intensive session, like a VIP day. Um, I call it a search traffic accelerator. So I spend a couple hours with the client really getting to know their business. And then I come up with a custom SEO plan for them based on that, which is often keyword research, how to update their websites what blog posts I need them to write, what YouTube videos they may want to create, you know, coming up with a content plan and an optimization strategy for your website. But all of that fits into a one day package. Um, Because a lot of SEO people just want to tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak. And And that just doesn't work for me. I don't necessarily want to be updating everyone's website two times a week for ad infinitum, you know, like forever and ever. I want to give you a plan and give you time to implement it, um, which is a very unusual way to do SEO. But once I hired the operations director, Teresa, she was like, well, find a way that it works for you that you can replicate. And that has made such a huge difference in the way that I work with my clients and the the way that my energy feels at the end of the day, because I don't feel like I'm constantly you know, just making these little tiny adjustments, I feel like I can share some big picture strategy without it all resting on my shoulders. And what do you charge for that road mapping session? At this point, it's $1,500. Okay. And then the deliverable at the end basically is all of the things that you can help the client do to improve their SEO moving forward, right? Not me. No, I want them to do it themselves. <laughs> oh, okay. So so you're just doing the strategy. You're not providing, you know, the saying, oh, we can help you with these four pieces of content or, you know, we can help you script out, um, you know, the videos for YouTube. You just do the strategy plan. I just do the strategy plan. And if there are things that I feel like, oh, this client needs to put together, you know, a blog strategy, but I know they don't want to write blogs, then I have content writers that I can introduce them to. And those content writers have now gotten accustomed to seeing my like, sort of insane air table bases. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, I know exactly what to do with this. And I, I teach the client, you know, here's Here's how you can use this system to to track your progress on things. And I build out Google Data Studio dashboards so that way they can see at a glance how things are changing in their business. And I want to educate them on how to uh, do the work themselves or outsource it to their teams instead of becoming reliant on me and my team. And also to track their own progress and to know whether or not the marketing that they're doing is working because you don't necessarily need to have, it's nice to have an SEO person in your back pocket, but you don't need to have somebody on your website every day telling you whether or not it's working because you can look it up yourself. And there are ways to learn how to do that that don't require, you know, a really expensive monthly retainer contract. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that there may be one or two listeners who will be reaching out to you saying, hey, I can help you with that content too. So yeah, I would love to love to get connected to content writers, to copywriters. I'd love any introductions because I'm always looking for people to partner up with. And, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have referral, you know, referral situations that go both directions too. All right. So, um, Meg, you know, talking through this road mapping session, this is something that's really kind of exciting and top of mind for a lot of copywriters that might be ready to change some of their offers and offer more strategy and think on a more high level, um, on a higher level. So what advice would you give to them around like ways we could approach it? What works, what doesn't work if we've never created this type of offer before and might be a little bit anxious about putting it out there? based off what's worked for you? I think it can be really intimidating to make the shift from being um, a service provider that ends with deliverables to a consultant who has the outcomes of like strategy and next steps for a client. 
And I think those of us that are in the business of providing deliverables, so if you're a copywriter, you're saying, here's all your website copy, here's your email sequence, here's your sales page copy. You know, and I came from the world of web design where it's like at the end of our contract together, you have a website. <laughs> like it's a very tangible thing that I was selling that you guys are selling. And when you shift over to something more strategic, like let me do a review of your existing sales page and give you ways that you can improve the conversion rates on it, um, that can be a little bit scary because you no longer are able to um, have a very clear outcome for what the client will get at the end of it. And also you don't, you can't take credit for the work anymore. <laughs> you know, when I was the one actually going into the back ends of people's websites and saying, I'm going to change these title tags out and I'm going to be the one that makes your website run faster by installing, you know, these plugins or whatever the recommendations were. When I was the one doing it, I felt like I was getting this boost when I would see their search traffic have an uptick because I felt like I was getting my, I was giving myself the credit for it and shifting the focus and saying, let me empower you to do this for yourself. Let me tell you what to do when you go do it or you have a team member do it. It's a little bit harder to sell, at least at first, because instead of saying, here's the outcome you're going to get, you're saying, here's the task list that you have to do, <laughs> you know, and you have to then also provide training and support for when they have questions down the line. So with my uh, with my VIP day, I will have that VIP day. I'll present everything. I'll provide, you know, a walkthrough video of here's everything that's in there. And then we have a check-in six weeks later because I know that people get stuck along the way, but they don't necessarily want to have to reach out and say, wait, what did you mean by this? So we want to have those checkpoints later on and, and give people some accountability and some support down the line and say, if you have a question, just email me. Um, so you still have to be accessible. You, you can't just like turn something over and then expect the client to take it from there. But if if this is something that you want to get accustomed to, if you want to, I mean, to an extent, get paid for coming up with a plan for them, and then you can decide whether or not you implement it or not. Um, just be super clear about what are the outcomes that they're going to get and focus more on how the strategy can help them in your proposals or in your, your sales copy than like, here are the deliverables you're going to get. Again, I mean, you guys know it comes down to features versus benefits. It's about, you know, if you are paying me to come up with a plan for you, you don't also have to pay me $150 an hour to go in and update your website. <laughs> like you can find someone who can do that for $15 an hour. So why don't I come up with the plan, which is what I love doing, and then you can make it work with these you know, support mechanisms that we have in place. And I can still be a guide for you as opposed to being the one doing it for you. I want to throw out another topic change for us. Uh, in addition to, you know, the shift from PPC to SEO, like you've built this great brand, Megabolt, and recently have actually uh, gone through a complete rebrand to Love at First Search. So tell us a little bit about why you decided to make that change and maybe more importantly, what you did on the SEO side to make sure that the change doesn't affect any SEO rankings or you know the good Google juice vibes that it already had. Totally. Um, so this is a very difficult decision uh, because when you've built a brand, and I know we're all in this space where you've built a brand and then you realize, oh, damn it, I think I'm outgrowing this brand. Um, and as I was, so Megabolt Digital was such a, a labor of love for me because Megabolt was my superhero name. My name's Meg Casebolt. Once I got married, people started kind of joking around and calling me Megabolt. And I was like, oh, this is such a fun, playful um, brand. And I loved that I could break things down and be kind of... Um, kind of irreverent about SEO because so many people take themselves so seriously. And by putting this comic book character on it and being all these bright pops of color and wham, pow, zap, like it felt more approachable. Um, and I loved the Megabolt brand, but I also felt a little bit weird when I started to grow my team and have them have my nickname as their email address or have them introduce themselves as something that felt very personal to me. And to an extent, it felt almost more personal than a personal brand because it was more playful. It was a, a fake superhero nickname. <laughs> it wasn't just, you know... I'm Meg Casebolt and I'm from MegCasebolt.com. Um, 
So making the shift to love at first search, well, I knew I, I knew I kind of was outgrowing Megabolt Digital. I didn't know what I wanted it to be. And then I was actually writing an email for SE October. And I was talking about how the first time that I opened up Google Analytics, it was like love at first search. And the words just came out of my fingers, which <laughs> I think will resonate with this audience more than many others where you're just typing and typing and something comes out and you're like, holy, woo, that is not what I expected, but that's awesome. And it's the same thing that happened with SE October, where I thought, wow, that's a great name. What am I going to do with that? And over a week or two, and I actually had a conversation with Kira about it at this point, where I said, I'm thinking about rebranding to this new name. And part of the thought process was, as I grow the team, I want it to be able to be bigger than me. I don't necessarily want my superhero <laughs> secret identity to to live forever. Um, part of it was I was reading the book Built to Sell at the same time. And I thought, how would I sell or grow or scale something that is so based on me as a personality? Um, and then part of it was knowing that from a search perspective, having a word that you want to be found for in your domain helps you. <laughs> and it's not something that I would recommend to people only for that. You know, I have a client who has an interior design studio in Dallas, and she just reached out to me because she got an email from, you know, a domain provider that said, DallasInteriorDesigner.com is available. Do you want it? And she reached out to me to say, should I do this? And I said, not unless you want to move your entire website over there and rebrand everything because just having just having a domain doesn't help you having your website live somewhere helps you so it is a much bigger deal to rename your entire business than just to have a domain that that points to something um so as i was kind of weighing the pros and cons of this i knew i wanted to move into a larger brand i knew love at first search felt like um i like to say it's like that feeling when you're googling something and you're like oh, I don't even know what this is called. What exactly am I supposed to type in? And then you type in whatever comes to your mind and you're like, yes, that's the thing that it's called. I think there's even a like a word for that feeling of once you learn a word, it shows up everywhere. <laughs> um, so once I came up with Love at First Search, I knew I wanted to move everything over. I knew I wanted to rebrand. Um, and so I hired a developer to help me make sure that everything went really smoothly and you know made sure that all of my page redirects were going to the same place and that as if people looked for a specific page on Megabolt Digital, they would just automatically be re redirected to the, the same page on Love at First Search, not redirecting everything back to my homepage, but doing a page by page shift over of all of my old blog posts, lining them up, mapping them out, making sure everything moved correctly. This wasn't too painful for me because my old site and my new site are both on WordPress. If I'd been moving from, you know, Squarespace to WordPress, then the permalinks would have gotten all messed up along the way. And so I would have had to literally write each one out. Um, and then also writing a blog post at the beginning, as soon as I announced the the new brand and said, Megabolt Digital is now love at first search in the title tag so that people who are still looking for Megabolt Digital, even though it doesn't say it that often on my new website, and also on my about page saying love at first search, formerly Megabolt Digital, keeping that old name in the new website to make sure that any brand recognition that I had for my old brand will transfer over to my new brand is really important to me. Obviously, I've spent years building up this, this persona and this brand, and I didn't want to lose all the juice from it. But there are absolutely ways that you can rebrand and not lose any of your old search traffic. You can just figure out ways to make sure Google knows this is where it was, but this is where it lives now. And this is who I was, but this is who I am now. It's kind of like when you get married and you want to change your Facebook name, please put your maiden name in your Facebook name for like at least a month. So that way this new person doesn't show up in my feed. And I'm like, who the hell is this? But no, you, you kind of transition everything slowly and let people know that the old name is now the new name. I definitely did not do that when I got married and changed my name. <laughs> so you are part of the problem. Yeah. I am part of the problem in this world. Um, if I ever, yeah, change my brand completely, I will want to work with you, Meg. That I mean, it's just done so so well and seamlessly. So as we wrap up, I, I would want to hear a little bit more about where you are today. You know, you mentioned you've grown this team. You brought on the director of operations. Shout out to Teresa, who you introduced us to, and now we're working with her as well, and she's wonderful. 
I'd love oh to hear Oh my gosh, she's so brilliant. <laughs> she's so brilliant. Um, I don't want to talk her up too much because I don't want to share her with the world. I just, I feel like you, we should just share her together because she's so brilliant. So where, who else have you brought onto your team? What does your team look like today? And then where do you spend most of your time today, you know, beyond the, like the, the road mapping session, where are you focused in your business day to day? So I also have my my part-time ads manager, Chrissy, and so she's still running that side of the business for the, the clients that I love and just didn't want to let go of and that weren't also in a scaling period in their business. You know, if we can just maintain and make sure that things are still running smoothly and they're getting good ROAS, I feel like we can just kind of keep going with that. And then I also have... Uh, with Teresa's help, we brought on a project manager and some virtual assistants just to keep things running. I have a couple courses that I launch and sell, and I've got some webinars that I've got running at any given time, and I'm always up for doing challenges in other people's groups. And so they help me keep, and yeah, I, I do a lot of online summits. Um, I have two really small kids, so I don't love to travel very much. So I try to do as much promotion as possible from my desk in the cold Rochester, New York weather, <laughs> um, you know, whenever possible, instead of needing to find childcare. <laughs> um, so I, I have a lot of different ways that I try to be very visible online um, without needing to travel all over the country. So big on big on virtual summits, JV webinars, just trying to get as much done as possible without needing to leave my house or put on pants. <laughs> and before we wrap, uh, we've got to talk about karaoke because I've heard you're a karaoke star. So Meg, what is your favorite <laughs> karaoke song? If we're doing karaoke tonight, what are you singing? Oh, geez, that's so hard because so much of it is like the mood of the bar. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's one thing when you go into one of those karaoke rooms with your friends and you can be a little irreverent, but you also want to like read the room to figure out what's appropriate and what's going on before you and after you. Um, well, said, well said as a marketer. Well said. I have a strategy here. No, I would say that like my my two like go to karaoke songs are probably um, Irene Cara's What a Feeling like nice 80s power ballad or Madonna's like a prayer. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to have awesome. like something people can belt along to or like maybe Pat Bunadar hit me with your best shot. Like you want something people can like get energized by, not like something that's going to make them sad and weepy, especially if you're in a bar and people have had too many. You don't want to. Well, what if it's a sad and weepy own. bar? You know, this I is the breakup yeah. bar. You got to you gotta be prepared. a different place to hang out, right? <laughs> we hang out in sad bars. That's what we do. That's, that's part of how we hang. All right. Well, we're going to do karaoke at some point, Meg. And over the next five years, it's happening. Well, my entire wedding was karaoke. Did you know this? No. <laughs> the entire thing, the entire reception was karaoke from the first dance until the last song. Uh, you know, my my roommate from when I, like my college roommate sang our first song, which was At Last. And then we ended the night with I Had the Time of My Life, my husband and I doing a duet. And the whole wow. thing in between was all karaoke. <laughs> That's awesome. Yikes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad we have talented friends. Otherwise, it could have gone downhill really quickly. Yeah, that, that would have been the case at, at my wedding, I'm afraid. So <laughs> if somebody wants to connect with you, Meg, find out more about maybe next year's SE October or uh, get on your list or even maybe connect with you to sing a little karaoke, where should they go? Sure. You can find me at loveatfirstsearch.com. Uh, if you're trying to get started with your SEO, you can go to loveatfirstsearch.com slash start and download my free SEO starter kit. I try to break it up as simply as possible to kind of explain how Google works, but also then help you write your Google content in the most fun way. So I have some Mad Libs in there. I have some flow charts with memes from the office. Like I tried to make it as approachable as humanly possible. Um, you can also grab me on Instagram. That's probably the place where I hang out the most. And that's love at first search. Awesome. All right, Meg, thank you so much. This has been really fun today. I love hanging out with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode. Mm-hmm.